I did want to share something before we jump in. The next several weeks, um, we're going to be talking about leadership in the church. Um, before we get there, though, I want to just share a couple of thoughts, which even from today from worship. I want to reiterate to our community that Holy Spirit is the wisdom. Holy Spirit is God. Holy Spirit is God. And, and we don't take that lightly. We let Because as humans, we like control. You know, I, I think we can all testify to that in different places in our life. It, it can be scary to feel out of control. Um, but I, I want to reiterate and encourage everyone here, when there's a, a quiet time or silence or just playing music, the Holy Spirit is still moving and speaking and, and doing what he wants to do. And we make room for him to do that here. And that's why we leave time for that. If nothing comes out, nothing comes out. That's totally fine. But we always are going to make room for him to do what he wants to do here. And so I just want to encourage you with that. I know many of us have been here many times. But I know sometimes also you can forget that that's what we're doing. <laughs> You know, worship is not like, oh, a checklist off at the beginning of our service. We have to sing three songs and get it done within 30 minutes. It's just not what we're creating here as a culture, as a community. We believe that God is really a king on a throne, seated in heaven right now, ruling and reigning, and that he's worthy of our worship. He actually commands us to worship him. Right? So that we don't take that lightly. This is not like, oh, yes, we get through our three songs and we're done. He's a king who's worthy, and if he wants us to go an hour and a half, we'll go an hour and a half worshiping him. And we're committed to that because he's Lord here. He truly is. And I want to encourage you, too, something I learned when I was at Street Life Ministries from 18 to 25, because work was... David constantly said, whether you feel like it or you don't, worship. Whether you feel like it or you don't, pray. Whether you feel like it or you don't, gather with believers. But the, the saying was, whether you feel like it or you don't, it doesn't really matter what we feel either. You might come in here on a Sunday gathering and think, oh, I feel heavy, and I'm not really feeling it, I'm not really feeling the spirit. But the Bible says we get to stir up the spirit within ourselves. Whether I feel it or I don't doesn't matter because I know truth. He is a king seated on a throne, and he's worthy of my worship. So I stir up my soul. I stir up my spirit to worship him, to give him what he deserves. And, and we have to mature, not only individually, but as a community. There's an invitation to step deeper to be stretched, to, to come out of that comfort place and, and stretch these places in us to worship him because he's worthy. So that was a thought during worship, but then also I just have all week been feeling to share this before we jump in to the message. But in Matthew 7, 
in verse 24. Jesus is, you know, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. It's continued through Matthew 7, and he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. You know this, right? And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was his fall. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he was teaching as one with authority. And I've been thinking about my husband, Pastor Tom, and his mom, Karen, my mother-in-law. A, a massive storm came into their lives, very unexpectedly. And just a couple of days after Tommy's dad passed away, we were sitting and prophesying together. It happened all the time for the first 10 days or so. We would cry, talk, laugh, cry, talk. <laughs> um, Karen said, with tears in her eyes, God is just so good. Her husband had just died. And we were believing for a miracle, full of faith, company of people were believing full of faith for a miracle and he passed away and they took him and she sits there saying this is going to be hard but God is so good you cannot say something like that after that tragedy without having your house built on the rock without having a deep relationship with the father you can't and there is invitation today in our lives to build now. Build now your walk with God, your relationship with God. It doesn't mean you won't grieve. There's lots of grieving still. There were a lot of tears, sadness. But like it says in 1 Thessalonians, we grieve not as those without hope. So we do grieve. But not as without hope. We're going to see Ron again in heaven for all of eternity. For all of eternity, much more than this life could ever offer. He's before the throne of God. We've been saying constantly, he got the better deal, end of this deal, right? He's, be, he's in full health and wholeness before the throne of God. And we have to stay here and grieve that loss. So he got the better end. Of that deal. But if your house is not built on the rock, tragedy will come and you will question God's goodness. You'll question his ability to heal or his desire to heal. You'll begin to doubt and unbelief might creep in. But if you're founded on the rock and you're steady, you will believe and you will be grounded in the truth that God is good. God is good. He does not change. 
He does not change. It does not matter what tragedy comes into our life. He is good. He did not promise that we would have a life without tragedy. We are in a fallen world. He did not promise. In fact, it was promised us that we would endure many trials and tribulations and persecutions. That was a promise. His promise was that his peace and his comfort would be with us in this age, that we could have the fullness of his presence, his word in us in this age, and that that would be enough. And if that offends us, then we need to do some uh, allowing for God to work in our lives in deeper places. We still believe he's a miracle working God. He is. I stand here today because of that. You guys know my testimony. Many of us have experienced the miracle working power of our God that he is healing. And I'm going to end this with two things. There's faith right? There's, I'm going to talk about two types of faith before we actually get to the message for one minute. <laughs> Don't worry, I won't go ten minutes. One minute. Faith that obtains a miracle in the now. We've seen it. We believe it. We believe that's for today. And then there's enduring faith. There's a faith that's tested that produces endurance and perseverance. And that faith, that enduring faith, is when we don't see the outcome that we expected in this age. My faith must endure in a good God who loves to heal, whose will is to heal, who's a miracle-working God. When I had chikungunya, that was the main thing the Lord showed me in the very beginning. He said, will you believe that I am Jehovah Rapha, whether you get healed in this life, or in the age to come. Will you believe it? Will you believe every single day that I am your healer? That could offend us, <laughs> right? That could be offensive. Well, why aren't you doing it now? All the questions can come. But the testing of our faith, that enduring faith says, no, I don't care what my circumstances say. I'm going to believe for healing. That's what I'm doing for my finger right now. I'm believing for a miracle to happen. I am. He's Jehovah Rapha, and I will believe until it's completely healed, whether he does it in a moment or he does it, you know, two months down the road. I'm believing for now, but if two months down the road it just got healed naturally, I still believe he's Jehovah Rapha. My belief in his desire to heal does not change because I know God does not change. He's not a man that he should lie and my house is built firmly on a rock. It is unshakable. And I want to encourage everyone to go deeper in that place. Develop, cultivate that relationship with God that's more than a Sunday morning experience that is your day-to-day -day relationship with God where you actually experience his goodness and say, I've tasted and seen he is good, and nothing, nothing could convince me otherwise. That's what we want to be as a company of people, that we believe he is good, and nothing could change our minds about him. Amen? I know that's heavy, and I know that's hard, 
But that's maturity. That's, I mean, think about Paul, what he went through. Shipwrecked, beaten how many times. And he's, he's still glorying in Christ. Still moving forward. How many of us, after all, you know, that list of things that he went through, say, oh my gosh, I could not make it through all that stuff. Right? Sounds hard, but he had a revelation of Jesus Christ, his house was built on a rock. It did not matter what came his way, he, he lived his life to death for that truth until he died. All the disciples, all the apostles. So I want to encourage this community in that we believe God is healer. We believe he's Jehovah Rapha. He is. We believe he's good. He's a good father. Message 1A complete. <laughs> I know I know that can sound heavy stuff, but it's really just invitation because God is good and He wants us to know His goodness. He really does. He wants us to know how good He is, so that we will be unshakable, no matter what comes our way. So we're moving in. You know, Joseph had. Um, Joseph is on our leadership team. He's a prophet in the house. He's on our senior leadership team. He had been sharing for weeks on the gifts of the Spirit. Um, if you missed any of those messages, they are online. And the last one, we'll try to get up online as soon as possible. Um, you want to re-listen to those. That's a teaching that we're going to have annually here because we want to equip the body to use your gifts, to walk in your gifts. We believe Every single person in this room has a gift from Holy Spirit, one if not many more, and we want to see that matured and cultivated and used. We want to see every person here walking in your gifting, and we want to invite you out of your comfortable into this wonderful place of really experiencing God and letting His Spirit speak through you, move through you, pray through you, whatever serves through you. Whatever, you know, he went through a ton of the gifts. So we want to see that happen. And, and what we're moving into now is um, I'm going to ask a couple of questions, and I want you to be very honest. Don't, you know, those things like the pastor asks a question, you're like, I have to raise my hand to look like I know what I'm talking about. Don't do that, okay? Because if, if you do, I'm going to ask you. I'll call you out right here and embarrass you further. No, I'm just kidding. But don't raise your hand if you don't know the answer, okay? Really. It does not matter. I'm just trying to see a temperature. Who thinks they really do know this stuff? Okay? It's not to shame anybody. <laughs> That's why you, now we have sound, doc, sound doctrine groups. You know that, right? It doesn't matter. We're talking about leaders in the church. So who knows who the leaders are in this local community? Raise your hand if you know who the leaders are. That's good. Marie, you should know who the leaders are. <laughs> Marie's on the leadership team. <laughs> she half raised her hand. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, that's good. So I, at least half of us, if not a little more than half of us, know who the leaders are in the church, in this local community. That's great. Who knows what their roles are? Raise your hand. Meaning, what their responsibilities are in the church. So much less 
know, and we've been talking about this on our leadership team a ton, so we're even digging into this. So who knows what their roles are? And who can biblically define those roles? Okay, even less. So this is awesome because this is what we're going to talk about. So hopefully after the next five weeks, four or five weeks, you're going to be able to raise your hand for all of these questions. I know who the leaders are. I know what their roles are. And I know how to biblically define all of those roles. Isn't that exciting? Yeah. Woohoo! Let's go. Most of us grew up in a traditional church model, right? What you know of church, what I know of church, what I grew up in was there was a pastor, one, one person, one pastor, and then there was an assistant pastor. There was an assistant to the pastor who would help fill in when, when the pastor wasn't able to. There were ushers and deacons, and they were always grouped together, the ushers and deacons. <laughs> you never, at least me growing up, I never heard those two words separately, ushers and deacons. And then Sunday school teachers, church secretary, right? Those were the, the roles in the church. The pastor, the assistant pastor, the ushers and deacons, the Sunday school teachers, and the church secretary, the treasurer, yep, the treasurer. Sometimes that would be ushers, and sometimes elders. Some places had elders, which is usually a board of people that made uh, financial decisions for the church. In, in, the, in the churches that I knew that had elders. Now that is just a general kind of overview, but maybe some of you could say, yeah, I relate to that. I went to churches where it was that way, right? And I wanna emphasize as we get into this that this model is not sinful. That's not, I'm not, I wanna make so clear that we're not trying to say that people who have those models are in sin. We don't wanna say that we're better than them in any way. What we're trying to do here is go to a biblical model for this local church community. We want a biblical model for church leadership uh, because we believe that God has a design for his church. That's what our sound doctrine groups are all about. God has a design for his church. I mean, think about it. Think from Old Testament on from Genesis onward, does God ever do anything haphazardly? Haphazardly, just like, oh yeah, here it is. Do whatever. Oh, the temple, yeah, build it however you want. It will be nice for me. No, there was chapters and chapters of, and make the wood this type of wood and this many like extreme detail, right? Okay, so our God is not someone that's just like. Yeah, I, I want the church. Do it whatever way you want to do it. Sounds silly when you say it like that, but for some reason we've gotten to that place. We've got really been inundated with tradition in our gatherings on a Sunday. And again, I, I want to emphasize, I'm not trying to offend anybody in the room. If I offend you, Sorry, not sorry. I, I'm really teaching what the Bible is saying. So it might require paradigm shift for us. Okay? Which means a paradigm is a set of beliefs that we each have. 
We might not even recognize what our paradigms are, what we actually believe about the church, what we actually believe about God. But some of the things we're going to be talking about might offend your paradigm or be contradictory to your paradigm. And in that case, you'll have a choice. I'm going to either hold to what I think before or I'm going to change what I believe. You know, it's hard to change what you believe. Like it's been decades and decades and decades of belief. Or just your whole life. We have a lot of young people here too. You know, it's maybe it was just your whole upbringing. You only experienced one way. It might be hard to change. If you're a new believer, this might be a lot easier for you, actually. <laughs> you're like, oh, this is how it's supposed to be easy. Let's just do it, right? It's, it's all of us who grew up in church and had years and years and years and years of certain ways and models that actually weren't biblical. So I want to preface this by saying I'm not trying to offend anybody here, but we are going to dig into scripture to see what it says. And I, I want you to, it's not going to be like our average Sundays because this is going to be teaching. I'm going to teach. So in the coming weeks, I encourage you, bring a notebook if you have it, jot down notes if you don't do that already to really start to dig with me in some of these things. This morning, we're just gonna go a brief overview of leadership in the church. So God has a design for his church. If you wanna either jot down or if you wanna open up to 1 Timothy start in verse 14 and this is Paul writing to Timothy right Paul who was given the man well actually I won't go there first Timothy 3 starting in 14 I am writing these things to you Paul to Timothy hoping to come to you before long but in case I am delayed I write so that you will know how you ought to conduct yourself in the household of God which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the support of the truth. This is a very key scripture. Commit it to memory if you can. First Timothy 4, I mean 3, 14 and 15. I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I'm delayed, I write so that you will know. Paul's making this very clear why he's writing. I'm writing so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. We are God's household. The pillar and the support of truth. The church is the household of God, and it is the pillar and the support of the truth. That's huge. That's a big deal. That's who we are. And how we conduct ourselves together in this place what how we relate to each other in this family how we relate to each other in this house how we structure ourselves in this house matters it matters that's why paul was writing so clearly so that we would know how to conduct ourselves in the household of god which is the church so then it, it kind of makes sense it would be weird to say just do it however you want. 
conduct yourself in whatever way you want to, or whatever way you think is best, doesn't make sense. Think about it in like a nuclear family, right? Sue and Christy's family. Think about them saying, hey, you guys, we're family, but you know what? Whatever, you, Renee, you think is, this growing up, right, when you're a kid. Renee, you can do whatever you think is best. Sarah, you can do whatever you think is best. Christian, you can do whatever you think is best. Liz, go ahead, just make your own decision. Whatever you think is best is best. And let's just try, does that work? <laughs> right? That doesn't work. Is there a design that God made for family, for our individual families? Yes. Yes, there is. Are there many ways that do work that are not his design? Sure, they function, maybe with a lot of dysfunction, but they function. I grew up in a household with a mom, a single mom. My dad left my family when I was eight years old. There were 12 kids in my family. Did it function? You all know I think my mom's a superwoman. You know, she did phenomenal. Is that God's design? No, it's not God's design to have a single mom. And single moms would probably all yell, amen, because <laughs> of how much work, how much work it is. You need a family to, to raise your children, basically. And my mom was an amazing woman, but was there a lot of dysfunction that came when my dad left our family? 100%. I had brothers that were drug addicts and sisters that were getting pregnant out of wedlock and everyone uh, everyone just went and did their own thing because the, the design was broken. Now did God use that in the end? He did. <laughs> and he can. He can bring beauty from things that are not meant to be. He does. He's good. He brought a lot of beauty from my what happened to be a broken family. He brought a lot of beauty from there, a lot. He restored a lot. But is that his design? No, and in his design, it produces healthy families. In his design is a healthy family where there is a father and a mother, a healthy marriage with healthy children, healthy relationships within the family. He designed it that way. Are there leaders, are there authorities in your individual household? When you were growing up in your parents' home, or if you are a parent, were the kids the authorities, or were the mom and dad the authorities? Hopefully the mom and dad were. <laughs> Some houses it's not. And there's dysfunction there, is it not? Again, I'm sorry, not sorry if I'm offending people, but this is true. This is true, God has a design for his family. He has a design for individual families. He has a design for his whole family, the household of God, the church. And when we live out that design, it produces healthy individuals. Just like a healthy individual home would produce healthy children, healthy families, right? If a marriage is doing well, if a husband and wife are doing well, if they're walking with the Lord and they're steady and they're sturdy and they're raising their kids up in the way that God designed it to be, 
their kids will be healthy. Of course, kids have their own choices when they get older. But you get what I'm saying. God's design produces good fruit. In his church, God's design produces good fruit. Does anyone remember what Paul's calling was? Talk about this a lot on Wednesday nights. He had a two-part calling. What was the first part? To preach to who? The Gentiles. So the first part of his calling in Ephesians 3, if you look at it, Paul is saying, to me, the least of the saints has been given this amazing calling. One, to bring the light of the gospel to the Gentiles. Amazing, because we all take part of that, right? That's why we're here. What was the second part of his calling? To shed light on the administration of the mystery. That administration, that word, means the household order. Literally, what it means in Greek is the household order. Paul's calling was to preach the gospel to the Gentiles and then to shed light on this mystery, which is the church. It was just being born and how the church was supposed to conduct itself, the administration of the church, like he wrote to Timothy, how you ought to conduct yourself within the household. Extremely important point, because if we don't know that that was Paul's mandate, we could disregard everything that he says, other than it being the Bible, right, and the word of God. But we could say it's not for today. We could say, well, it doesn't really matter, it's not cultural, you know, it doesn't really fit with how we do things today. No, Paul had a very clear mandate calling from God to show how the church was supposed to function, how we were supposed to order ourselves. And it was extremely important. So how do we determine out of what Paul, I know I'm getting peachy, guys. I know it's not normal, but I hope it's okay. How do we determine what's normative that word means normal for all ages, for all times, and for all cultures. How do we determine what's normative for the church? What, what of what Paul said to us or displayed or exemplified to us as normative is meant for every church of every age for all time, in every culture, in every nation, every tribe and tongue, what's normative? And I'm going to give you a hint on how to find what's normative. This blew my mind when I studied this. So you can, you can test it by running it by two things. Is it exemplified in Scripture? Meaning we see it happening. Right? You look at the book of Acts, you see things happening. And you see patterns that happen. Right? So that's one. Is it exemplified in scripture, and then is it taught about in another portion of scripture? So for example, in the book of Acts, we see that the gifts, the Holy Spirit gifts, are functioning in the church, right? We see prophecy happening. That's a gift of the Spirit. If you look in scripture, is there another place that teaches about how to prophesy in the church? 
We just went over that with Joseph, right? There was a whole teaching on how to prophesy in the church. How does it function in the community? Does that make sense? So we see it exemplified. We see it happening in the church, in the early church, over and over again. And then we see Paul or someone else teaching on it. This is how you do it. That's how you find what's normative for the church of all time, in every culture, in every nation, in every tribe, in every time. This is very important for us to understand so that we don't just go ahead and do what we think is what we prefer, right? Americans especially, I've lived in other nations, but Americans especially have preference for everything. Oh my gosh. It's just like, well, I would like it this way, you would like it. It's because we have options. We have so many options. You go to the grocery store, there's 20, well, maybe even 100 different types of chips you could get, right? Or you say, you know, I want tortilla chips, there's 10 different types. And you're like, that's, that's not how it is in other nations. We don't have as many options, but because we have so many options, which is a blessing, we are picky people. And we have a lot of preferences and a lot of opinions. And we carry it over into the church, which is a problem. So I don't really like worship going more than 15 minutes. I don't really like them singing songs that aren't really songs. It's not my preference. <laughs> ah. Okay, I'm not going to go off on that. That's kind of weird. Paul was very specific with his instructions for church leadership. And there's a reason why we have the leaders that we do in this house. For those who don't know, Tom, I mean, I've heard people call me Pastor Wes. I'm not a pastor, okay? And you're gonna learn about this over the next five weeks. Do we have a name for me? Uh, maybe overseer, apostolic overseer. And when we study that, you'll see. Tom is a pastor, Pastor Tom. I mean, you can call me Pastor Wes, I, I get it. It's easy, because it's what we're used to. But I'm not a pastor. We're going to study those different positions. Stu and Christy, raise your hands. There are elders in the house. Stu's an elder, Christy's his wife, and there's an elder is a shepherd. We're going to dig deep into that. They are the elders in the home. Marie, Jay's not here because he's sick. Marie, can you raise your hand? Jay and Marie are deacons in the house. And we're going to dig deep into what deacons are, what their roles are. And Joe and Kate, who are away for their anniversary right now, they're on the fivefold. That word gets thrown around a lot, but they're on the fivefold apostolic team. And what ministers of the gospel. Okay, and we're going to dig, these might all be new terms to you. They're very biblical, and we're going to study them. We're going to dig deep into them, because I want you guys, we need as a community to truly understand why we structure ourselves the way that we do. Mom. So I want to, I'm, I'm ending today, because today's actually the overview, but I, I want to show you some scriptures real quick where all of these types of leaders are seen throughout Acts and where it's taught about, right? Which I just said makes it normative, where it's seen exemplified, and then where it's taught about how you appoint, how you position those leaders. Paul is very clear. 
So the different types of leaders we see in the New Testament church are fivefold. This is a terminology that the church has today. Fivefold gifts and callings in the church. That's found in Ephesians 4. You see it all throughout Acts. I love these in scriptures. But if you want to drop this down, Ephesians 4 is where it's taught about. The fivefold gifts. That's apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist. All right? We'll, we're going to take two weeks to go over those ones. The next two weeks, we're going to talk about those gifts and callings. It's sometimes thought that everyone in the church falls into one of those five categories. That is not true. That is false. But we'll go into that. That there, Those are fivefold gifts for the body. Then we see elders and bishops. Two different things. Elders and bishops. And we'll go over that on the third week. Elders and bishops. We don't have any bishops yet here. Who wants to be a bishop? <laughs> Just a, yeah, it's a fun word, like Bishop Tom, Bishop Michael. <laughs> and then we have deacons, right? And we're going to talk about deacons. So those are the, the types of leaders found in the early church all throughout the New Testament. We have fivefold, which is in Ephesians 4, apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist. Then we have elders and bishops. And then we have deacons. So I'm going to just throw some scriptures out there. If you want to write them down, you can, but I am going to let you know we will be each week digging into these. So I'm going to be referencing some of these scriptures multiple times. So I'm going to just go to Acts real quick to show you. I'm not even doing this extensively. These are not all the scriptures. I literally just picked a handful that came to mind that show these types of leadership exemplified in the church. So Acts 2, 42, right? This is the church, Acts 2, 42. They were continually devoting themselves to, oh, this is talking about uh, the 3,000 that were added to the number, right? And it says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So who are the leaders in that passage? The apostles. So they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, meaning the apostles, which were at that time the 12 disciples, who had walked, well, 11 at that point, and then, oh no, 12 again, because they had already cast lots for, what's his name, uh, Matthias, to join. So the 12 of them were apostles at that time. There are more that joined them throughout the book of Acts. That's the very, they were sitting under the apostles' teaching. They were the leaders in the church at that point when it first started. Okay, and then Acts 6. How many of you know what Acts 6 is about? Verse 1. Now this time while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the 12, 12 apostles summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, 
full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Okay, so the apostles appointed seven men who were going to serve tables. Who would those seven men be? Deacons. The word deacon actually is diokonai, nia, I don't even know how to pronounce it, but it means to serve. Do you see that they had qualifications even? Pick seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom. I'm really going to harp on this because we just, like, the way we view deacons is like, oh, they're just the servers, like the ones that cleans the bathroom. We put them down here. And that's crazy. Deacons needed to be full of the spirit, anointed to serve. They were leaders in the church. They were chosen among everybody for that position to serve. Incredible. That's incredible. Get more on that. Acts 8, 14 and 15, verses 14 and 15. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem, again, apostles in Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who were apostles, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. All right, so we see that the hub in Jerusalem that had gotten started, they send two apostles to another church, another community of believers. And then uh, chapter 11, verse 22. Again, this is just to show you these scattered all throughout Acts. 11, uh, verse 22. The news about them, meaning the believers in Antioch, so many believers in Antioch, that the news about them reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem again. So they have a multitude of leaders in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. So first, they hear the news of a, a multitude of believers in, in, I forget the area, and they say, Peter, send Peter and John. Then they hear that a ton of believers are gathering together in Antioch. They send another apostle, Barnabas. He's called an apostle in Acts 14, 14, but he was numbered with them in Acts chapter 4. Okay, so Barnabas is also an apostle. He was a leading Christian among them, uh, a leading believer, and he was sent in, in Acts, and then he goes and he finds Paul, who is another apostle, not the original 12. Barnabas is not the original 12. Paul is not the original 12, right? There are two other apostles that get brought in. And he brings him to Antioch to teach for a year. Okay, Acts 13. Verse 1, now there were at Antioch, in the church that was there, prophets and teachers. Okay, so we see more leaders coming out. Prophets and teachers. Barnabas was one of them. Simeon, Lucius, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So a mixture of people. We don't know who's a prophet, who's a teacher. So there's a company of prophets and teachers, obviously some apostles, because Barnabas and Saul are there, and they're part of the leadership team in Antioch. They're praying for the church. And they send out, the Holy Spirit instructs them to send out Paul and Barnabas. Right? So lots of sending out here. And all people who are, who are they sending out? 
every time, who do they send out? Do they send out elders? Apostles. They're sending out apostles. Grab that nugget. All right, we're almost there, guys. Acts 14, 23. So Paul and Barnabas have been sent out. They're preaching the gospel, gathering believers together. Acts 14, 23. They're at the end of it and said, When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they believed. And then they go back to Antioch. So what's, what type of leadership do we see there? Elders. That's the first time we're hearing elders. But apparently Paul knew to appoint elders. Right? He knew that somehow. So then lastly is uh, Acts 15, verses 1 and 2. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Okay, so there were elders in Jerusalem. We're just hearing about that in Acts 15. We didn't mention it in the beginning, but apparently there were elders there with the apostles. Then there are deacons. And then we see more elders and more apostles. And those are just a handful. And then there's more deacons. To make this all normative, because we see it as an example over and over and over again, all throughout Acts, these types of leaders, to know that this is normative is when it's taught. Does the Bible teach about these things? Okay, so fivefold, where is it taught? Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. It says how they're supposed to function, what their role is in the church. Elders, bishops, where's it taught? 1 Timothy 3 and 5 and Titus chapter 1. There's instruction on how to appoint. What are the qualifications and what their role is in the church? Okay, so does everyone feel like this is clear? If I asked you, what are the, the leaders in the early church, would everyone be able to tell me who they are? That's the whole point, okay? We're going to be going over this, going deeper every week, and I know it's different than what we're used to because we're, we're digging in to some teaching here and trying to stretch our minds, get some things changed around there. So I, I really hope that it's, it's, uh, it sinks in. I really hope it sinks in for us because we want everyone to understand what we're building here. And even maybe you'd start to understand your own role in the church family as a result of this teaching. So next week and the next two weeks, we're gonna be talking about fivefold gifts in the church, and what those are, who they are, how we know about them, okay? And again, if you have any questions, you can ask any of our leadership team at any time. So if you have questions during any of these next coming messages, please write them down and just ask us, because we want 
everybody to really understand. This is not light stuff. This is heavy stuff. He said, Paul said that the church is the pillar and the support of the truth, how we order ourselves, how we conduct ourselves, how we structure ourselves. It displays the goodness of God in the earth. It, it produces healthy individuals. We want everyone in here to be a healthy individual that contributes to the move of God in the earth. That's what we're raising up here. That's what we want to see. Amen? All right. So, Father, we just thank you so much that you're a good father, that you have a good design for your church. And I just pray, Lord, that as we dive into this in the next coming weeks, that you would grace our minds to comprehend your wisdom, your wise design, and what each of our part is in this design what you have called each one of us to, and how we are to conduct ourselves together as a family in this place. Father, you are awesome. We love your ways. And I pray also, God, that as we dig into this, that our mindsets would shift. Lord, any old paradigm, any old way of thinking, that you would so gently reorder it. God, that you would help us to see. Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in this place into the intimate knowledge of who you are, that we would be enlightened and that our minds and our hearts could comprehend your goodness and your great design and walk in it in confidence. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, have a great week, everybody. This Wednesday is our last Sound Doctrine group before we take a break. And